بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله رب العالمين نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله ارسل الله تعالى بالحق بشيرا ونذيرا داعيا الى الله باذنه وسراجا منيرا فما بعد فقال تعالى يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون وقال يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما وقال نبينا محمد صلى الله عليه واله وصحبه وسلم ان لصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدع وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار my dear respected brothers sisters and elders there is a problem solving technique called root cause analysis all my medical professional brothers and sisters here will be familiar with that because that's very common in the medical profession when there are systems you don't simply treat the systems alone even if you do treat them you always go down to the root cause of why those symptoms are manifesting themselves we use that also in our business in business consulting practice because when you see organizations having problems then you don't just deal with the problem you go down to the root cause and the technique we use is called ask why five times we say five whys so you have a you, you you state the problem then you say why and then you go to the next one and say why and why and why until you get to the actual root cause which is causing the problem and today that is what i want to talk to you about inshallah the purpose of islam is to solve the problems of this world this is our claim as muslims and to do that in a way which gives us success in the dunya wal akhirah in the world and in the hereafter now i want to emphasize this because very often we fall into the either or trap when it comes to the practice of islam and this is not surprising because consciously or unconsciously we have been brought up on render therefore unto caesar the things which are caesar's and unto god the things which are god's and this is the statement uh, which is which jesus isa alayhi salam is supposed to have made to the people who were trying to trap him by asking him a trick question about whether the jews should pay tax to the romans or not and their idea was to trap him and if he had said don't pay taxes then they would have reported that to pontius pilate which were, who was the roman uh, tax collector and the governor uh, and they did all that anyway but that's a different issue now i'm saying this not because of taxes because we muslims are supposed to pay taxes but to point out that this separation became later and this court 
later became the basis of separation uh, between church and state in Europe and globally. Now this separation is completely antithetical to Islam. Unfortunately, historically our own ulama have also taken this either or stance expressed as deen or dunya. The reality is that deen is not the opposite of dunya, but it is the way to live in the dunya. Deen gives us the criteria for taking and making decisions in our lives which are in the dunya. If we didn't have the freedom to choose, there would be no need for guidance. Or about guidance about consequences of choices. Living Islam is about making the right choices. And Islam gives us the framework to do that, which is the deen. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala did not send us into this dunya to leave it, but to live in it according to the deen and to help others to find solutions to personal and societal problems. Muslims came to demonstrate the Islamic way, which makes people winners. And as long as we did that, we had the moral authority and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala gave us power. When we stopped being demonstrators and became imitators, we lost our moral authority and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala took away our power. Today we have voluntarily restricted Islam to some areas of worship, some selective application of the Sharia and have taken to the ways of others blindly. We are not even intelligent enough, it seems, to see that those people themselves who we imitate are intensely unhappy with their ways because those ways have destroyed their societies. We condemn their ways, but we imitate them. And then we are surprised that nobody respects us. The Muslim Ummah today is like a ship that is caught in a storm, battered from all sides by hurricane-strength winds trying to throw the ship on the rocks, while the ship itself, with tattered sails, is leaking badly. In such a situation, if you want to remain afloat, we must ensure that we do three things. Number one, be aware of our strengths and weaknesses. Stop glorifying ourselves. Stop looking at the world and ourselves with rose-tinted glasses. Accept strength and weakness. I'm not saying only weakness. Accept the reality. Number two, understand the nature of the threat both external and internal, and have a solution of how to overcome that. And three, demonstrate the way to overcome the challenge and succeed. These three are critical if we want to survive. And finally, it is execution which means everything. It is to make it actually happen on the ground. Knowing the way is not enough to reach the destination. We must walk on that path to the end. I remind you and myself that people listen with their eyes. They don't care what you say until they see what you do. Today the world demands that we demonstrate Islam or stop talking about it. It's literally put up or shut up. And that's our call. I want to begin therefore with a SWOT analysis of the Muslim Ummah. Now you don't need to remember all this. This will all come to you in the text. Now SWOT analysis again is a Business concept we use, those of you who are not familiar, SWOT stands for S-W-O-T, Strength, Weakness, Opportunities and Threat. You can do that for yourself, you can do that for businesses, we do that routinely in 
uh, our business consulting practice. So let me do a SWOT analysis for the Ummah, for the Muslim Ummah as I see it. <coughs> Strengths first. Faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, Tawheed. Faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the Akhirah. And this gives us enormous resilience and the ability to recover from disaster. Number two, a growing awareness and confidence, <coughs> especially among the youth, to learn and practice and become exemplars of the Islamic model. Number three, growing awareness of the gulf, the big gap between the ulama and the general Muslim public, which has difficulty applying Islamic knowledge in their lives, but unfortunately the ulama are unable to guide them adequately. Now please note, illa mashallah, generally speaking is what I'm talking about. So if you say so and so alim, of course, most welcome, alhamdulillah, may Allah give them strength. Weaknesses, first set. Muslims are ignorant about Islam. And I can give you many examples. Basics of Islam, which leads to being superstitious, and also Muslims are sectarian. Education methodology in Islamic schools has no focus on application in real life. Zero. Ulama are either slow or they don't respond at all to emerging challenges. Intolerance for dissent in Islamic education and hero worship, which is blind taqlid of teachers, leads to the inability to dialogue with people of different beliefs. And those people of different beliefs today are our own children. We see dissent as rebellion and not as welcome difference of opinion leading to better understanding. We have forgotten adab ul ikhtilaf if we ever knew them of how to disagree without being disagreeable. Disagreement in our case doesn't result in deeper understanding and better solutions but in the formation of yet another faction which hates everyone else. There's a huge and very visible gap between our teaching and behavior which destroys credibility. And this has given rise to another group, the non-Ulama side, which thinks that they have the right to legislate in deen without any preparation in Islamic sciences and behavioral training that is necessary even to understand Islamic law. We simply pay lip service to Tazkiyatul Nafs or Tarbiyatul Akhlaq. <clears throat> Second set, fragmented thought, fragmented people, fragmented leadership, and no appreciation of the challenges that face the Ummah. Therefore, no specific thought out plan. No specific thought out action plan. There's more focus in our teaching and conversation on divisions than on commonalities. I can but will not give you the names of very highly respected Islamic institutions belonging to one madhab, which spend an entire semester criticizing another imam of the Ahlu Sunnah. What can be a more wasteful exercise than that? While paying lip service to the fact that all four aima are worthy of emulation. We have no collective approach except in times of traumatic upheaval. Has to be a disaster to get us together. And thereafter we make no attempt to deal with the reasons for the crisis so that it will never happen again. We are great firefighters only. Third set, 
<coughs> lack of vision at all levels, including the topmost leadership, religious and temporal. There's no think tank for scenario planning to leverage challenges. I don't know how many people even know the meaning of scenario planning. Our allergy to reading. I can ask you a simple question. How many books did you read this year? We are in the eighth month. Our allergy to reading, to constructive dialogue, our addiction to social media and frenetic lifestyles all result in our inability to even understand the crisis that we face as Muslims locally and globally. Forget about resolving it. Fourth set, biggest of all, lack of followership. It is easy to claim love for Rasulullah sallallahu and the Sahaba and to send durood on him. My question is, if Rasulullah sallallahu were to appear among us today, how many of us would be willing to follow him as the Sahaba did? And how many of us would run for cover? Think carefully. Because this is a question that we, each one of us has to answer for ourselves. The Sahaba paid a price for following him. Are we willing to pay that price? Today everyone is a mufti. And we like those who agree with us and we condemn the same people in one instant. If they say something we don't like. At the beginning of COVID, on the request of many people, I made two speeches, one in Urdu, one in English, about the importance of quarantining, importance of masks, importance of staying away from, from, from uh, groups and gatherings, and therefore not going to the masjid, if necessary, shut the masjid, and so on and so forth, right? And I made those, the speeches are there on, on YouTube, with all the dalail of the ahadith of Rasulullah sallallahu and to my great delight, I'm saying, I'll tell you why I'm saying it. I'm not being sarcastic. Seriously. To my great delight, I got many messages saying, please renew your iman. You have left Islam. So I said, Alhamdulillah. Because Rasulullah said, when one Muslim calls another kafir, one of them is definitely a kafir. And I know that I am not a kafir. So I said, Alhamdulillah. This is our, this is our, our mentality today. Our rating of an alim is based on Facebook likes and YouTube hits. And we have, on the other hand, so-called ulama who spend countless hours making YouTube videos, refuting, maligning, character assassinating, ribating, and slandering other ulama who they disagree with. All in the name of Nahyanil Munkar. Yet we want the world to revere us as role models. Ajeeb, eh? Opportunities. What do we have? To fulfill the purpose of our creation and benefit all mankind by providing thought leadership to the world. Number two, to become role models for the world to look up to and emulate. Number three, to show Muslims how to practice Islam so that our lives can become beacons of guidance as it was with Rasulullah wasallam and his sahaba. This is our opportunity. Fourth, threats. Concerted, hugely funded, highly focused efforts to undermine Islam and disconnect it from life using the best brains and technology and media. Number two, 
ignorant apologetic muslim psychologically succumbing to pressure and advocating changing islamic law and the quran without understanding either and number 3 increasing disconnect between the ulama and the average muslim leading to the latter the average muslim feeling that islam is at best a way of worship but not much else the problem with our with the approach of our leadership is that they talk almost entirely about problems and they do not give solutions at best some of them give incomplete solutions leaving the rest in the realm of imagination the result is that muslims have developed a victim mindset we think the whole world is out to get us we blame the world for our condition but we do nothing to change it even when we have the opportunity we have no role models of applied islam <clears throat> in today's world which shows success in this world today through actions that promise success in the akhirah examples quoted of the practice of islam are of people who lived in the remote past whose lives have little that is immediately in common with today's challenges and problems aqul qawli hadha astaghfirullah li wa lakum wa li sa'il muslimin fastaghfiru innahu huwal ghafurur rahim الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاه والسلام على اشرف الانبياء والمرسلين محمد رسول الله صلى الله عليه واله وصحبه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا فقال تعالى ان الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا ايها الذين امنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على سيدنا محمد وعلى ال محمد كما صليت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى ال محمد كما باركت على ابراهيم وعلى ال ابراهيم انك حميد مجيد my brothers sisters elders the issue with the practice of islam <coughs> with most of us today most muslims is a how issue it's not a why issue it's a tools issue it's not an issue of being convinced people are convinced already even people who are convinced however are unable to practice because they don't know how they don't have systems to support them and they have no means of developing those systems themselves now this is a huge opportunity to create such systems <clears throat> and to build <clears throat> a build a support system for people to practice islam a good example is that even after 1444 years we still don't have a model for global interest free banking at the peak of the subprime housing loan crisis when the evil of the debt equity model was brutally clear and the world was ready to look at a system of finance to beat the boom bust roller coaster model of global finance we could have taken center stage if we'd had a a workable zero interest financial model did that happen why not I have long stories about this which I don't want to spend time telling you here but inshallah Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's purpose however was with sending his messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam with Islam is to guide all mankind to the path that will guarantee them a beautiful life in this world and jannah in the hereafter Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said in surah an-nahl man amila salihan min dhakarin aw untha wa huwa mu'minun fala nuhyiyannahu hayatan tayyibatan Whoever does righteous deeds, whether male or female, while he or she is a true believer, verily to him we will give a good life, a beautiful life, hayat and tayyibah. 
and we will pay them certainly a reward in proportion to the best of what they used to do in the akhirah. This ayat requires more time on it, but I don't have the time now, inshallah, again. The condition of success in anything is that we follow that path to the end. <clears throat> Whether it's physical fitness, weight loss, weight gain, swimming, flying a plane, driving to any destination, you can only succeed if you follow the path to the end. So also in life. Islam is the path to success. We can succeed only if we walk on that path fully and completely to the end. Not partially, not at will. Our challenge is to show the benefit of the Islamic way of life in all aspects of human existence and demonstrate how the Islamic way is better than any other way and makes its followers a winner. Once people see this clearly, they will be willing to listen to the benefits of Islam in the Akhirah, which are linked to living in the Islamic way in this world. Simply talking about Jannah does not influence anyone when they see Muslims around them living the lives of losers. We have no influence, no power, no moral values, no nobility, just shameless extravagance, self-indulgence and irresponsibility. We are people who talk, but who don't walk their own talk. Nobody is impressed. If you want to test my premise, randomly ask three Muslim youngsters who their role models are in this world. I did, and some of you were there, you know the answer. And ask them what they want to have in life. If we want the world to change, we must change ourselves. The challenge is to clearly differentiate <clears throat> based on Islam. Show how Islam makes the Muslim doctor a better doctor in the eyes of his patients. Not the beard, not the topi, not the, not the praying. How does the being a Muslim make you a better physician? What is the Islamic value add to being a physician? What is the Islamic value add to being a teacher? What is the Islamic value add to being a politician? <clears throat> what is the Islamic value add to being a technologist, a business person, a scientist, husband, wife, son, daughter, employee, employer, whatever? How does Islam make you better in that worldly profession which you follow? And that's not because you stand there and give a lecture. No, no, I'm not talking khutbas. This is something sweetness is tasted. How do you sell perfume? Not by giving a lecture about the perfume. You give the bottle and say, here, spray. You don't need to talk. Smell it. We are great lecturers. Big bayans. Make people cry. One day I gave a lecture in Hyderabad. And one person came. He said, I'm, I'm very sorry. I, I came to listen to your lecture. I'm very sorry. He said, what did I do? He said, he said, you, you didn't make anyone cry? Huh? <laughs> he said, what is this? Nobody cried. This is what we are, performers. Stage performers, make people cry, make people laugh, everybody is happy. My brother and sister, the time for that was gone a thousand years ago, but I'm saying it again. And believe me, one thousand years from now, if, if we are there, 
unless we do something, somebody like me will stand here and say the same thing. We have to transform ourselves. We are today like a, like a bunch of people who own a library of automobile engineering books. Every day we walk to the library, we read those books all day and every night we walk back home. Do you see what I'm saying? Reading automobile engineering books will not get you a car. You have to convert the knowledge of that book into a car. You have to have a factory, build cars. Then you will ride and everybody rides with you. Ideology has to be translated into working models to have an effect. Our Jamiat and Madaris and Darululums have done an admirable job of preserving and protecting theological knowledge. However, they have fallen short in converting theological concepts into practical reality. The biggest reason for that is that we have ignored the seerah of Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala sent his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam as a role model to be emulated. Our ulama don't seem to agree. If you are offended, ask if Siratun Nabi is a separate subject in your curriculum, a separate standalone subject. I am associated with many ulama and with many darululums in many parts of the world. The standard answer I get is, oh, but you see, they learn that in Asbabun Nuzur. When your tafsir is Jalalain, which Asbabun Nuzur are you telling me about? Oh, but they will learn it in when they read hadith. My point is, why do they need to learn it by the way here and there? Why don't you teach the life of Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa alihi wa And if you as an alim, as a darulum elder, as a jamia elder, as an imam, if you will not teach it, where should a person go to learn it? And why will you not teach it when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalaluhu said, لَقَدْ كَانَ لَكُمْ فِي رَسُولِ اللَّهِ أُسْوَةٌ حَسَنًا My brothers and sisters, this is the problem. Today, our biggest problem <coughs> is our muamilat, our dealings. Yes or no? Biggest problem is our dealings. And the number one thing that will get solved, if you study and follow the seerah of Muhammad Rasulullah wasallam, is muamilat. Number one thing. The number one thing that will get solved is muamilat. And that is why we have to understand this and teach the seerah as a specialized subject. If the Darulums won't do it, leave them alone. You do it in your house with your children. This is the most urgent need. The second part of this is Muslims, intellectuals, scientists and professionals have also failed to volunteer to partner with Islamic scholars to work on application models. Unfortunately, we live in an atmosphere of mutual suspicion and veiled hostility between these two groups. And that's the major reason why this healthy and very necessary partnership won't happen. The ulama look down on scientists, technologies and so on, technologists and so on and so forth. And these people, they think the ulama are fools. It doesn't work like that. It can never work like that. Each is a specialist in his area. We have to respect that and we have to work together. In a cooperative relationship. Believe me, the question, who will bell the cat? I don't care who bells it, but unless that cat is belled, we are going to go deeper and deeper into 
You know what I'm talking about, right? I'm in the, on the member, so I can't use those words. <clears throat> so my brothers and sisters, a good example to see how knowledge gains popularity when benefits are visible is to see how yoga spread in the world. Yoga is a global practice. How did that happen? Because when you go to a yoga class, they don't give you a three and a half lec hour lecture on the origin of yoga. They tell you, fold your legs in this way, lotus position, sit down, shut your eyes, hold your hand like this and start breathing left nostril inside, right nostril, no, right nostril outside. Straight. In two seconds you are sitting there. They make you sit, they sit, make you sit there, they keep your mind blank, blah, blah, what not, what not. And then they say, now how do you feel? How will you feel? You feel good. That is what opened the door for whatever else that they want to preach. My brothers and sisters, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala jalla jalaluhu told us very clearly why he sent us. Kuntum khaira ummati nukhrijat linnas. Ta'muruna bil ma'rufi wa tanhawna anil munkari wa tuminuna billah. Allah said, you Muslims are the best of peoples ever raised up for the benefit of mankind. For the benefit of mankind. For the benefit of mankind. What do you do? You enjoy good. And you forbid evil. And you have faith in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. You believe in Allah. Quite justifiably today, the world is asking us, if your way is so good, why don't you practice it yourself? ربنا فاغفر لنا ذنوبنا وكفر لنا سيئاتنا وتوفنا مع الأبرار يا عباد الله رحمكم الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإيتاء ذي القربى وينحى عن الفحشاء والمنكر والبغي يعيزكم لعلكم تذكرون اذكروا الله يذكركم عذو يستجيب لكم ولا ذكر الله أكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقيموا السلام